through the doctrines of God, and uh, this evening we've arrived at Covenant, subtitle, God Pursues. Just a reminder of the story so far, we've been learning that God is Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all fully God, each person fully God, one God, three persons. We've also been reminding ourselves that it's God who creates, God makes. Creation is his product. It's from nothing, out of nothing. God commanded the universe into existence. And in Christ, he sustains us moment by moment. The universe is literally upheld moment by moment by the word of his power. And uh, last week, we looked at God judges. We looked at the fall. We looked at how we consider what the essence of sin is, which we remind we, we saw from the first ex, the first story of that in entering the Bible, as recorded in the Bible. Sin is delighting in, desiring, and finding something more delicious than God. It's exchanging the truth that God is altogether lovely for the lie that something is more lovely than Him. But tonight we've come to this part called Covenant. God pursues. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we can only begin to scratch the barest surface of this glorious truth. So please minister to us and help our minds to be informed, but our hearts to burn within us as you speak to us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. So what is a covenant? Just let me give you a definition of what a covenant is. Um, A solemn and binding commitment, guaranteeing promises and or obligations that are undertaken by one or both parties and sealed with an oath, very often before witnesses. That's the formal definition of a covenant. Can anyone think of an example of a covenant? Marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman for life, where they make, and we're going to witness a a marriage celebration in this church on November the 9th, when Mr. Thornton marries the love of his life, Alison. And they're going to make promises to each other. They're going to make vows to one another in the presence of God and of this congregation because they're entering into a lifelong covenant commitment to one another. They'll enter as two people, but they'll leave as one. Because they're in a covenant relationship. Can anybody think of another example of a covenant relationship? Well, let me help you. We have here a church. This is the, we, it used to be called the Church Rules. It's now called the Church Handbook, which is a good title. And really at the essence of what it means to be a member of this church is in covenant relationship with one another. That's why we have what we call a covenant of membership. We explain what it means to be a church. We explain what it means to what a covenant is, which is basically what I've told you. But it also says that we have a covenant relationship with one another. It gave us the opportunity when we were revisiting the constitution of the church to amplify and develop the covenant commitments that we have with one another. So in this version of the church handbook, the latest one, 
we have an elders' covenant. The elders' covenant with the people of God here to promote the appointment of elders, deacons, etc. There are eight things that we as elders covenant with the members of this church to do before God. And we also have a membership covenant with, with everybody to sustain, share, serve, support and submit. So there are four things that we as church members covenant with one another to do. That's a covenant relationship. It's a very solemn, binding commitment that we guarantee as God's people in this church that we're in this very serious, solemn relationship. That's in a nutshell what a covenant is and two examples of it. But the Bible records that God makes covenants with us. Let me ask you this question. Why does God make covenants with us? Why does God make such solemn promises before witnesses that he swears by himself and goes on public record that he will keep his, he will keep his covenant? Why does he do that? Why does God go to such extraordinary lengths of making covenants with us? Pardon? It must be important, yes. So that we know what? That we know that we can trust him. The pro you're right, you're on the right track, thank you. The primary reason I believe that God makes covenant, goes on record publicly of entering into covenant relationship with us is so that we might be assured of his love. That we might know that he genuinely, deeply loves us. By the way, the, that's a, the Hebrew word at the heart of the, of, of the heart of the relationship. We'll come on to that in a moment. Is hesed. That's covenant love. That's how you write it in Hebrew if you're interested in writing it in Hebrew. Basically, it means a love that will not let me go. Where do I get that from? I get it from Hebrews chapter 6. Let me read verses 13 to 20 to you. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. That's why he did it. He wants us to know with absolute unshakable confidence and, and assurance that we are loved by God. I don't know about you, but when I sin, and I regularly do, I ask myself the question, how can God love me? How can he love me? The answer is, 
covenant? The answer is covenant. And the essence of all the covenants that God has made is his covenant love. The Hebrew word, as I say, is hesed. It's translated in multiple ways in our English Bibles. It sometimes expresses covenant love, sometimes steadfast love, sometimes mercy, sometimes loving kindness. But in all of these things, God signs his name, Yahweh, and he seals it with blood. It is that serious and it is that important that he wants us to know that we are loved by God. He puts his name to it and seals them with blood. I don't know how many of you come across the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's a lovely, there's a lovely definition for covenant love in the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't remember anything else, you can, you can nod off after I say this. This is fine. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible of the definition of God's covenant love. God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good. There's that lovely hymn written by, a, I forget the name of the hymn writer, O love that will not let me go. Oh, love that will not let me go. That's at the heart of the covenant. So let's think about what are the covenants that God has made with us. I want to highlight three of the many elements that every covenant has elements to it. There are a number of elements that are common to a covenant... I only want to highlight three of them for you this evening in the four that I've listed up there for you. I want to think about about the mediator of the covenant, the core blessing that is promised by God in the covenant, and the sign of the covenant. Because every covenant has signs. And in the Old Testament there are three covenants, sorry, four. There are four covenants. Actually, I think there's one with four different manifestations and expressions of it. And I would invite you to see, when your own reading, I'm going to give you references. I'm not going to read them out to you. I just want to make passing references to them. But if you wanted to, if you're taking notes and you wanted to know the Bible references, I'd invite you to read them in your own time and notice that each of these covenants is ratified or sealed with blood sacrifice. So let's think about the Noah covenant. The heart, the mediator of the covenant that God made with mankind was Noah. The heart of the mess, the heart of the blessing that God promises through this covenant is grace. The sign of the covenant is the rainbow. And someone has helpfully pointed out, again in the Jesus story but Bible, the rainbow is that shape. Yeah? It's a bow. A, a bow is used by an archer to shoot arrows at an enemy. The bow is facing heavenwards, not earthwards. Because someday, someone is going to come and take the punishment we deserve. 
but meanwhile, it's grace. You can read about the Noah covenant, or the, the, the covenant that God made with Noah, or through, with us through Noah, from Genesis 6 verse 9 through to Genesis 9 verse 29. Let me give you the backdrop. <clears throat> the backdrop is the grief, yes, the word grief, the Lord was grieved, the grief the Lord feels at how great the wickedness, the ever-increasing wickedness of the ever-increasing human race. So he says this, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. <clears throat> and so we read in Hebrews... So by faith, Noah obeyed and built an ark to God's specification to save his family. You can read about that in Hebrews 11, 7. The, 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 the letter to the Hebrews is a wonderful commentary on the old covenants that God has made. And the sign, as I say, of this covenant is the rainbow. The next one that we read about in Genesis is the covenant God made with Abraham. The primary blessing that God promised in this covenant was name, great name. And the, heart, the sign of this covenant was circumcision. You can read about this in Genesis 12, verse 1, all the way through to Genesis 25, verse 11. Now again, the backdrop of the, is the Tower of Babel and the problem of the human nature. <clears throat> One of the problems that the fall has had upon us is that we are constantly on an ego trip, are we not? We are constantly on an ego trip to make a name for ourselves. That was the issue in the, ta in, in the people of Babylon at that time, the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> they built this huge great ziggurat, this great big pyramid thing, with a thing that reached up to the sky. Why? What was at the heart of it? Genesis 11.4, to make a name for ourselves. That was the big deal that was going on, to which the Lord, it's very, there's real sarcasm, they made this great, massive, human, end, human endeavor, all to be celebrated, look at wonderful us, we can have a name for ourselves, and the Lord looked down from heaven on this pathetic little effort. And he came down and confused the languages. And scattered the human race across the earth. Against that backdrop, enter Abraham. Abraham, as he was called. Who was Abraham? He was a 75-year-old, confused, scattered idol worshipper from Babylon because that's where Ur of the Chaldees is whom God calls out of Ur of the Chaldees out of this scattered confused idol worshipping humanity God rejecting self promoting humanity God calls this 75 year old idol worshipper called Abraham and brings him into promises and makes promises to him. You can read about the promises, which, as I say, expand and grow 
in, in Abraham's growing relationship with the Lord. But they cover three things, basically. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God begins the conversation with Abraham, Abraham about this covenant he's entering with him. I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. Okay, what do the people of Babylon want? Great name. <laughs> Without God. What's God going to do with, to the humanity? In covenant, make their name great through him, not through their efforts. And a great blessing to all of the confused and scattered peoples on the face of the earth. The writer of the Hebrews comments on this in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. And the sign of the covenant is circumcision. That's an interesting discussion, which I'm not going to go into with you tonight because I'm in mixed company, girls. Okay? The next person in the covenant, the next mediator in the covenant is Moses. The primary blessing of the covenant that God made with Moses is freedom. And the sign of the covenant is the Passover. You can read about this covenant from Exodus chapter 2 verse 1 all the way through to the end of Deuteronomy 34.12. The backdrop of this covenant is the 400 years that the people of Israel spent in Egypt that led to their slavery. They were enslaved and they were being literally eliminated by infanticide. And during that long period, we read, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and we read, he remembered his covenant with Abraham. Exodus 2, 23 through 24. That's the backdrop. Enter Moses, whom God called and specifically said in Exodus 3.10, bring my, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so Moses became the mediator of what I've called God's eagle's wings redeeming love. Because what does God say when, he, when, the, when the people of Israel are delivered from their bondage to slavery and brought to Mount Sinai where God expands the covenant with them? I brought you to myself on eagle's wings. And the sign of the covenant is the Passover. The next person God makes a covenant with is David. The heart of the blessing that comes is kingdom, and the sign is the throne. You can read about this in 1 Samuel 6, verse 13, all the way through to 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 10. The backdrop to this covenant is the book of Judges. At the end of the book of Judges, there's a commentary that God, the inspired writer of the book of Judges, records. When in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. 
Do you know what multiple sinners are called? What's the collective term for a multiplicity of sinners doing whatever's, whatever's right in their own eyes? Anarchy. Anarchy. Anarchy was the dominant theme in the book of Judges because they had no king, everyone did as they saw fit, which led to the Lord raising up in answer to this desperate woman's prayer, this, ha- this lovely lady called Hannah, the Lord gave her a son, Samuel, which means literally asked of God, who anointed Saul, who was Israel's first king. The problem with King Saul was that he was a man after their own hearts. They wanted a man after their own hearts to be their king. And we read that God rejected their king, Saul, and replaced him with his king, God's king, David, whom God says was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 through 16 through 13 is where that takes place. And it took a long while for after the anointing of David by Samuel, for him to actually become the king. He had multiple assassination attempts on his life at the hands of his father-in-law, Saul. But we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 through 16, that the Lord promised David an everlasting kingdom. Interestingly enough, when you come to the New Testament commentary on this in Hebrews... The writer doesn't mention much about this covenant. And if you want to know why, he tells us in, in Hebrews 11.32, he said, I've run out of time. I don't have time to tell you. Very often preachers run out of time. I'm just looking at the clock. The sign of this covenant is the throne. Interestingly enough, the throne is a massive theme in the book of the Revelation. But there was a problem with the old covenant. But the problem was never with God. The problem was always with us, with God's people. And, and I please don't think we look, at the, we look at the people of God in the Old Testament and go, what a bunch they were. We wouldn't be like that because we're nice, lovely, good Christians nowadays. Yeah, not so much. It's still the same heart that we have, but God does something supernatural in the new covenant that he hadn't done to everyone under the old covenant. We read those passage, that passage from Jeremiah. Let me read that to you again. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is the supernatural element that is part of the covenant blessings that we get. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
Then we come to Matthew 26, 26, 29. And this is where Jesus transitions from the Passover to the new covenant and introduces what we know as the Lord's Supper or the communion service. While they were eating, Matthew 26, 26, 30, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and, set, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Verse 28 is crucial. This is my blood of the new covenant. My blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Do you know what hymn they sang? Do you know what psalm they sang? Psalm 118, which was sung on the Passover. It was the... It was the one of the five great Egyptian Hallel Psalms. It's one of the ones that celebrate the great redemption that God wrought in the deliverance of his people from slavery to freedom. One of the verses which is often quoted in prayer is, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Jesus sang that <coughs> as he's going to Calvary. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Because, as I've put down there in the Hebrews reference, what Jesus does is fulfill all of the old covenants. All, every aspect of the covenants that God made with Noah with Abraham, with Moses and David, he fulfills, and it's a superior and better covenant. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. I'm not going to read all of that. It's a long reading. Let me just read what it says in verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. And in his exposition of the superiority of the covenant, the new covenant that is sealed in Jesus' blood, the writer then refers to and opens up the Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 passage that we have just read. So my goal, my prayer, my desire is that as we leave this meeting this evening, we can do so worshipping, adoring and trusting our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God because Jesus is the true and better Noah who through union with him his people who are in Christ are shielded in the ark from God's wrath. How did Noah save his family? By building an ark 
and getting into the ark. How were Noah and his family, which became the entire human race during the flood, how were they saved? They were saved through judgment. They had an ark that kept them safe. And Jesus is the true and better Noah. And we, because we're in him, are shielded by him from God's wrath. And he will one day bring us to a new heavens and a new earth where we will never ever sin again and behold his face forever. Because Jesus is the true and better Noah. Secondly, Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Abraham was called to go to a place he did not know. And Jesus was called, he answered God's call to leave the comfortable and the familiar and the adoration of billions of angels and step out into the void. Why? To create for God the new blood-bought people of God. And Jesus is the true and better Moses who stood alone in the breach as the true Passover lamb and as the true rock and having been struck with the staff of God's wrath against us so that streams of living water flow from him to us. And Jesus is the true and better David who single-handedly destroyed the devil on the cross. And as our warrior king, he ascended to the cross, which is his throne of victory for his people. The cross is his throne of victory over sin and death and hell and judgment. And we anointed him with our spit and our hatred and we crowned him with thorns. What did God say the land would produce? Thorns. Mark of the curse. We, we spat on him. We took the skin off his back. And he, uh, he ascended to that throne of victory single-handedly. And he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high as king of kings. And Lord of Lords. Jesus is the true and better Noah, the true and better Abraham, the true and better Moses, the true and better David. Because God enters into covenant with us, because he loves us with an everlasting love. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that the reality that we are this night, if we are Christians, we are loved with an everlasting love and we've been led by grace to that love to know. May we delight in, rejoice in, rest in 
this great covenant love that you have established with us through Christ for our joy and your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's close our time this evening by standing and singing, Love with Everlasting Love. <laughs>